Welcome to episode 127 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest insight scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend. Joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sag. Let's get started with my first topic. And so news broke this week that Ericsson is uh, exiting its IoT business. And so the immediate question I had, you know, is it a smart move? So the details are it's selling its entire IoT business that includes its IoT accelerator connectivity management platform and connected vehicle cloud platform. And they're selling it to a California-based company called Arius, A-E-R-I-S. And, um, you know, Ericsson admits that this has been a money loser for them to the tune of roughly, you know, $24 million, um, a quarter for, for the last couple of quarters here. And it really, you know, for me, you know, it's probably a smart move for Ericsson because they are they are focused, obviously, on, um, you know, other things that are really going to drive the business. And, and honestly, um, IoT is a difficult category to monetize. And I think you've got to have, there's got to be more there. And I think, you know, you've got to take sort of a, a multi-access approach as well, um, similar to what T-Mobile has done. Be sort of agnostic about that. So, you know, you got LoRaWAN for narrowband. You certainly have LTE and 5G for for more, you know, kind of uh, massive IoT applications. But I think this clearly indicates, and like, you know, we've seen Sigfox, you know, with IoT and their demise. Um, you know, IoT is a challenging uh, market, you know, to, to monetize in general. But uh, I don't know if you caught the news, but would love to get your insights too. I actually did not catch the news, but I actually disagree with you. Okay. Um. And I actually disagree with you because, um, if anything, uh, this should be something that um, Ericsson downsizes but doesn't sell off. Okay. Um, this is something that they should keep and have um, in their, um, you know, in their quiver or whatever, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, I just think that they will. They're going to want to come back to IoT mm -hmm. um, in the near future. Um, maybe, maybe in the more distant future, but I think they're going to want to come back to it. I think they're going to regret this decision. Um, yeah. I just think that in the short term, it looks good for their investors. Um, and I think that is ultimately the main reason for this decision. Um, you know, they are financially, um, you know, struggling on, on their share price. Um, and they're trying to appease investors, mm -hmm. um, and a good way to appease investors <laughs> is to get rid of a division that's losing money, which I completely understand. Um, but I think it would be I think it would be more wise to make the division less of a money loser um, yeah. and and fix it um, rather than, um, you know, Scrap completely it. jettison the entire division um, and eventually come back to it, which this happens a lot at companies when they're when they're struggling. A good example of that is uh, AMD. They sold their mobile GPU division to Qualcomm. Yeah. Guess what? Now they need mobile GPUs, and they're licensing their 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 discrete GPU IP uh, for mobile use cases, which is not as good as the mobile IP that they sold yeah. to Qualcomm, which is now powering Adreno. And you know that that whole architecture just keeps growing uh, in terms of performance per watt. So yeah. um, I think there are sometimes that decisions are made um, in the wrong you know um, conditions, and I think they'll probably regret this decision down the road. Well, that's an interesting perspective, <clears throat> and certainly if they want to go back to it, you know, you know, you talked about Qualcomm there for a moment. Um, you know, you and I spent time with Qualcomm. I think it was uh, it was either earlier this year or late the uh, previous year, 
and you know uh, learned a lot about what you know Qualcomm is doing with putting discrete solutions together for smart cities, which is one IoT application. But certainly there are more you know IoT applications beyond that, including automotive that that I was speaking to as well. But point counterpoint, um, um, great insight from from your perspective. But let's move to your first topic this week, and you want to talk about Verizon and where they're at hitting. Uh, pops with their C-band deployment and also an update on uh, their VRAN deployments. Yeah, so Verizon had a busy week. Um, <clears throat> it really seems like their network is finally coming into itself. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that comes with first announcing that um, they have hit their goal of 175 million pops for their 5G C-band network, yeah. um, which is really going to be the, um, you know, the, the backbone of any 5G network. Um, I think I saw uh, Ericsson's report um, that said that, you know, mid-band is really where the, the majority of the 5G experience is gonna happen. Yeah. And um, that's why Verizon's mid-band C-band network needed to get rolled out as fast as possible. Yeah. And 175 um, million pops isn't quite 200 million. Um, I think you and I both agree 200 million is kind of the number you need yeah. to have uh, enough of a, a network that your um, customers are satisfied with um, the experience mm -hmm. and uh, and developers can actually depend on that network being available to make um, the experience uh, of building an application and then their users enjoying the application good. So I, I think 175 is close, but I think yeah. they'll hit 200 million next year. They did this ahead of time, you know, they said by the end of the year. So they did it a month early. And um, <clears throat> I think they're, they're going to continue to move down this path. And I think they're going to start clawing back some some market share from AT&T and T-Mobile uh, as they start to light up more of their network and yeah. taking advantage of more of their local zones with Amazon and all the um, edge compute capabilities that brings. Yeah, and I know you're going to talk about a milestone with respect to a VRAN um, site deployments as well. And really, you know, Samsung has been a partner with uh, Verizon from the very beginning of its 5G yep. deployment. And um, what I like about VRAN, in fact, I'm actually going to be doing a recording later this afternoon that I think is going to be uh, broadcast next week with Samsung Networks, where we're going to talk about VRAN and some of the benefits. But um, certainly the agility, the, the, the speed of which that you can deploy virtualized RAN, uh, and the agility for the operators, and, and not to mention, um, you know, the capex savings and the opex savings that are there too. But I don't want to steal your thunder. So I'll yeah, so the other thing was that they announced that they've got ten thousand VRAN sites with Samsung. Yeah, um, which is a big deal because that's a, that's a lot of sites. Yeah. Um, and I think their goal is to hit twenty thousand, um, and that includes lighting up Verizon or sorry lighting up Ericsson's sites as well, um, which is using Ericsson's 5G Cloud RAN. Um, mm -hmm. And that's how they will achieve 20,000 between Ericsson and Samsung. So um, yeah. it really sounds like they're they're modernizing their network. Um, they're expanding its capabilities. And I think um, it sounds like they're really on the, on the right path. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's the right, it's definitely the right approach to get those C-band um spectrum assets built out, you know, sooner versus later, you and I have spoken on multiple podcasts that that was going to be the biggest challenge for Verizon um, with their mid-band deployment. But let's go to my second topic this week. <clears throat> I want to talk about T-Mobile and they published 
a state of fixed wireless report. And um, <clears throat> it's quite interesting. I mean, T-Mobile has been a leader in NFWA in the US. And so they officially announced that they've surpassed 2 million subscribers. Uh, that's, that's well up from its 1 million number that it reported earlier in the year. And you know what they're really speaking to is um, they're seeing a lot of growth um, from you know taking share from the traditional broadband cable providers. So, and their their claims are um, you know they're they're growing this at you know seventy percent quarter over quarter, and um, you know they point to what's fueling you know fixed wireless access growth is just you know decades of customer dissatisfaction with the traditional ISP models. Yep. I mean. I recently had an experience, you know, with Xfinity, uh, with my home in Florida, and just trying to get a bill straightened out because I let a credit card um, expire. It was like it was like splitting the atom, you know, nine nine DMs and then three emails and a phone call later, I got it. What well, was fairly a, a simple, you know, issue resolved. And so, I think they're they're aggressively going at it. There, there's no doubt that that T-Mobile is the leader in the U.S. What I find interesting is they did not break out on the 2 million subs, um, business internet versus consumer. And so I'm assuming that the majority of the subscribership is consumer as T-Mobile for Business continues to uh, to build its portfolio out. Um, what's interesting is that when you look at AT&T, they primarily sell their FWA service to businesses. And so it's sort of a tale of two cities here. Um, but I think, you know, I've spent time with AT&T and CEO John Stanky. Um, they're a fiber-first strategy that supports the backhaul for their for their 5G mobile build-out. Um, but at the same time, John has stated that, hey, you know, where it makes sense economically, we're going to deploy FWA as well. But um, I don't know. I don't, I don't think you were able to join the call because you were traveling uh, the review with T-Mobile. But, you know, any additional insights you want to share with our viewers and listeners? Yeah, I actually did look into this afterwards because I was traveling. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting is um, they really talked about subscriber growth um, from like Q4 of 21 to Q3 of 2022. Yeah. And they said that, you know, like there were 3.3 million net ads for broadband. And out of those 3.3 million, 1.7 million were T-Mobile mm -hmm. and 870,000 were Verizon. And then only 713,000 were non-fixed wireless net ads. Okay. So they between T-Mobile and Verizon, they're kind of um, sucking the, the 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 air out of the room for the traditional broadband, you know, companies. Yeah. And they represent over 77% of the market for net ads, um, which is a big deal. And I think, you know, I don't really know how the, the Comcasts and the Spectrums of the world um, will be able to compete with that long term. Right. Um, and I think that's why you see them pushing harder on their mobile products because, yeah. you know, they're just deciding that if, if they're not going to win in fixed uh, broadband, they're going to go and come after mobile and wireless. And yeah. they are seeing yeah. some growth there. So um, I think the lines between, uh, you know, telecom companies are starting to blur and what's considered a, a mobile carrier and what's considered a broadband provider is becoming a blurry line. Yeah. Um, it was interesting to see that T-Mobile um, also published some usage trends for their consumers, yeah. um, which we know are mostly consumer. Um, yeah. You know, they said they were only 23% or 23% used less than 100 gigs per month and mm -hmm. only 11% used more than one terabyte. So yeah. the vast majority of their customers are between 100 gigs and a terabyte. 
Um, and they were talking about how, you know, their median monthly usage was greater than an industry average. Um, but their average monthly data usage was less. So it's, you know, they're around 500 gigs. Um, and it, it's just really interesting to see how fixed wireless is going to play out. I think yeah. we're seeing lots of rapid growth right now. Um, and I think it will eventually peter out a little bit. But I also think that um, once they simplify the experience even more um, and, and and enable people to understand that they have options yeah. and as coverage improves, I think we'll start to see more uh, fixed wireless as an option. Um, yeah. And I think that fixed wireless will become its own, you know, slice of the network. Yeah. Um, and, and it will become something that operators will utilize in a way uh, to maximize their, their network capacity and, and, and resources. Yeah, no, I agree. <clears throat> you know, I kind of view FWA, you know, as, as um, you know, these MNOs get to build out their, their mid-band spectrum and, and the performance improves. I really look at, F, you know, 5G FWA as sort of the, the cable, the cable broadband killer. And I think at the end of the day, you're going to have a set of customers that are going to appreciate the speed of symmetrical fiber, multi-gig fiber, um, and then you're going to have, you know, a certain segment of the population that are going to be satisfied with the performance of uh, of an FWA, you know, you know, type solution that don't necessarily need um, the speed, the throughput, the performance, the latency that fiber delivers. So I really sort of view FWA as sort of the the cable the cable broadband killer. But you know, um, certainly the trends are very positive and adoption is uh, very high, and T-Mobile is really sort of driving that. So mm-hmm. but let's move to your second topic this week and. You want to talk about a couple of deals uh, that that both AT and T and T Mobile are working on? Yeah, so um, AT and T announced two partnerships: uh, one with BMW for Number Sync for connected car, and then yeah. another with Polaris um, that is uh, more for like tracking and updating uh, off-road vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I think the Polaris one is a little bit less interesting, um, but it is for, you know, utilizing coverage. So that's, you know, something interesting there. But the number sync is interesting because what it does is it takes um, the BMW's personal eSIM capability and syncs it with your smart, with your your actual smartphone number that you have on AT&T. And that allows you to basically sync up your your car with your phone. So that way um, you have the ability to take calls from your car, um, which allows you to, you know, have better coverage and more integration and take advantage of, uh, you know, texting and um, some other smart messaging features. So we'll see how that works in practice and what that looks like. Um, But it's an interesting feature. And then also, in addition to that, T-Mobile announced uh, a partnership with VinFast, which is a Vietnamese EV maker, um, which is launching in the US and Europe. And they're going to be uh, using T-Mobile as their connectivity provider um, in North America and Europe um, for both 5G and IoT applications. And mm-hmm. it will enable them to, you know, push IoT updates, um, you know, monitor vehicle locations and performance and notify users if they have issues and do all of that, you know, over the network. So yeah. um, it's really interesting to hear more and more automotive partnerships um, being inked. Um, yeah. You know, I think this was traditionally AT&T's strong suit. Um, mm-hmm. As somebody who uh, adopted uh, LTE uh, in an automotive application, uh, AT&T was kind of the only choice back then. 
Yeah. Um, but nowadays, it seems with 5G, T-Mobile become has become a much more um, rounded competitor at AT&T in this space. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, these are great sort of, you know, extensible monetization opportunities for for the operators. I mean, to your point, um, you know, AT&T has enjoyed, you know, a footprint in this space. But it's, it's, it's great to see T-Mobile uh, notching some wins as well. And I'm sure, you know, Verizon will be right there as well. And, you know, I, I've had LTE connectivity in, in one of my vehicles, never really, you know, utilized it. Um, but certainly, you know, 5G opens up some very, very interesting use cases. I mean, you spoke to some of them right now, uh, right now, um, but also, you know, kind of infotainment, you know, oriented as well. So um, cool stuff. But let's move to my third and final topic this week. And I want to talk about Cradle Point. And um, I think on prior podcasts, I mentioned um, that I did a LinkedIn Live with the Cradle Point team, and we sort of talked about their NetCloud exchange. And this is their, their LTE and 5G uh, wireless wide area network platform. They've been sort of uh, rolling in updates and features to it um, over the course of this year. And then just this week, they added a zero trust network access support to really bolster the security. You know, and from my perspective, you know, ZTNA um, was initially uh, targeted towards remote access users only. But I think what, what the industry is discovering is that, you know, the universal applicability is stronger because basically a zero trust principle authenticates a user to an application and not flatly to a network. And so you can use dynamic policy and that sort of thing just to scrutinize, um, you know, what, what, what occurs on the network and to prevent unauthorized network devices, you know, on a flat network. So... Um, nothing totally earth shattering here. It's sort of a, a kind of the, an evolution of what they've been rolling out. But now with ZTNA, I feel like uh, Cradle Point has a, a great uh, private um, wireless solution that uh, meets all of the needs for the enterprise from a flexibility standpoint and a security standpoint. So I know this is infrastructure and it's, you know, it's not sexy in device or AR and VR, but you want to add anything before we move to your uh, final topic? Yeah, I, I actually think this is a big deal um, just because I think um, we have to take all types of connectivity more seriously when it comes to security yeah. um, because eventually what ends up happening is some of these things get adopted um, into you know small businesses or medium-sized businesses and those become attack vectors yeah. um, for larger businesses. So um, I think it's important that we you know take security seriously at all levels and, you know, uh, I was also going to say I appreciate you uh, explaining what ZTNA was because mm -hmm. I was going to ask you to explain it, but okay. you also already anticipated my question because yeah. um, I know what zero trust is, but I don't know what ZTNA is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I we we've begun to read each other's minds after we've been doing this for two and a half <laughs> years, my friend. So, yeah, and it's you know it's becoming table stakes now. I mean, and lots of people claim it, but um, it's it's not the easiest thing to accomplish, and, and certainly. Cradle Point, you know, as a part of Ericsson, um, they're they're making the right moves. I mean, there's some other players out there that are that are doing things like Insego um, in this regard, and it's all great because choice breeds innovation and you know better better cost leverage for uh, for enterprise customers. But let's move to your third and final topic, and you want to talk about um, Apple? Yeah. So this is not, I wouldn't say necessarily the biggest announcement. Um, in fact, some people might have missed it entirely. Mm -hmm. um, but iOS 16.2 mm -hmm. 
um, which released fairly recently. I think it was last week. Um, or even maybe even earlier this week. Um, they released the 16.2 RC to developers um, and beta users ahead of the re official release. Um, so 16.2 um, was actually trending on Twitter at one point, um, okay. which is interesting because usually OS updates don't, you know, uh, incremental updates don't really trend on Twitter. Right. Um, but the reason why is because it's bringing 5G to the iPhone in India. Um, oh. and, and the reason for that is because the operators in India are now deploying their 5G networks and iPhone users weren't able to take advantage of their phone's 5G capabilities because there were no 5G networks for them to use. Yeah. So this 16.2 update, which will be you know rolling out fairly soon um, to the broader audiences in India, um, will support the iPhone 12, iPhone 13, iPhone 14, and iPhone SE 3. Mm -hmm. um, so that's four different models of the iPhone that will suddenly have 5G access uh, that previously did not. And because India is the second largest mobile you know, market in the world, this is actually a big deal. Um, yeah. This will, you know, considerably increase the amount of 5G users um, in India, you know, overnight, and it will start to allow application developers to start taking advantage of 5G in the yeah. world's second largest mobile market. Yeah. Well, you know, that's interesting. So, I mean, obviously those iPhone models had to ship with a 5G capable modem, but yep. I'm assuming the software update basically unlocked that capability. So to Yeah, I mean... Ready? It, it, it did exactly because there was no reason to have that turned on, yeah. um, you know, seeking for an NR network when there was none um, and, and trying to, you know, light up capabilities that would increase power consumption unnecessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think this is this is a good thing. And, you know, it's nice that they're doing it quickly um, and they're kind of anticipating the, the, the rapid rollout uh, across all the different uh, carriers in, in India. Yeah, you know, India has been a little behind, you know, especially with their spectrum auctions and, and that sort of thing. So it's good to see that that country is uh, beginning, you know, to uh, to get things lit up. So, but hey, it's another great podcast this week, my friend. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights for a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Will Town Tech and I'm at Amshal Sag. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week.